Well, good morning. It is good to see you. It's good to be back out of quarantine. Uh, I tested negative, so I was able to uh, get back into the swing of things this week, so I was uh, excited about that. And uh, if you are joining us in person or if you're joining us online this morning, um, it is a holiday weekend, so I just want to say to everybody, Happy New Year, right? I mean, let's be honest, let's be honest, culturally, this is New Year's. If we're going to be serious about it, like, yeah, there's that whole calendar thing that happens in the dead of winter where it's like bitter and cold the next day and everything's still the same. This is New Year's for us. It's the start of the school year. There's new potential. There's lots of things going on. The seasons has changed. It's gotten a little bit cooler. The leaves have started changing. There's this anticipation, right? This is, this is more New Year's culturally than the calendar New Year. And, uh, and, and what, what's great about this time of year is that anticipation and that potential. Everything is full of potential right now. Um, it, there's this idea of like, what could we be or what could we become or what's this year going to hold, right? And, and I know it's different this year as we, as we start out um, the school year with, with a different way of going about things, but there still is that excitement. There still is this knowledge of like, there's something on the horizon there that, that maybe this year will be better or maybe this year will be uh, uh, different, right? This is something that we all have and it's, it's full of potential, but, but here's the thing, if, we're, if this year is going to be something special for us as a church, if this year is going to be something special for you as a follower of Jesus and your walk in faith, there, there has to come a time when potential energy becomes kinetic energy, right? This idea, like, that, yeah, my scientists are going, yeah, right? I had to look it up because it's been a long time. But, um, but the idea of potential to kinetic, this idea of like there's, there's all this energy stored up, but when does it become movement? When does it become power? When does it become force? When does it become direction, right? And so somehow, some way, your faith, which is full of potential, your walk with Jesus, full of potential, this year full of potential, when does it become kinetic? When do, when do, we, when do we have participation in what God is doing? And that's what God calls us to. He calls us to make disciples, to be his witnesses, right? That's what God calls us to do as all followers of Jesus. We are all of us individually to be making disciples. And the first step in making a disciple and the first step of what God has called us to is to share the good news about Jesus, to share the good news about Jesus. Now, the good news of Jesus is called the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so when someone says it's the gospel truth, it's the good news truth. Like, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news concerning the person and work of Jesus. Now, we could talk about our, our stories in the middle of that and how we came to faith, but the gospel is sharing the good news about Jesus. And that's where when we start sharing our faith, when we start walking this out, when we start talking to other people about Jesus, which I know for all of us is, is, is hard and difficult at times, and yet something that God calls us to do. He calls all of us to do because someone told you about Jesus, right? Someone got over their awkwardness, someone got over their fears, someone was strengthened by the Holy Spirit to go and talk to you and share with you the good news about Jesus. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And the big idea today is this, faith comes by hearing and grows by sharing. Faith comes by hearing and grows by sharing. 
So, so we, we know about Jesus because we heard about Jesus. Someone told us about Jesus. Someone told us the good news that our sins could be forgiven, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he, that he lived a perfect life, that he, in our place, the life that you and I could not live, that he died a death that you and I deserve for our sins, and that he rose from the dead, and he's giving new life to all who would trust in him. The good news about Jesus, the gospel. And this is, this is something that we've all got, right? Because faith comes by hearing and grows by sharing. It both grows uh, exponentially wide in people hearing about Jesus, but it also grows deep into our soul. The more we share our faith, the more our faith grows. And so today we're going to be talking about um, uh, kinetic energy, moving forward. How, how does this happen? And so we're going to be looking today um, uh, of an account of a guy sharing his faith. A guy sharing the good news about Jesus is a guy named Paul. And Paul was a man who hated Jesus. Hated Jesus, hated Jesus' followers. To the point where he assisted in the murder of one. And that he had a bunch of them thrown in jail because he hated the message of Jesus and the people of Jesus so much. Hated him, hated him, hated him. And then Jesus met him on a road, literally knocked him off his high horse met him face to face, and the man who hated Jesus now became a follower of Jesus because he had an encounter with God. And so he, he has this message to bring forth, and so he would spend the rest of his life going around the world sharing the good news of Jesus. And a lot of what you see Paul's life is in the book of Acts. Okay, so it, it's, right after, um, it's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so the second uh, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the biographies of Jesus. The next book is Acts, A-C-T-S, not the, not the uh, junior high boys' cologne Acts, right? Acts, That's right? So it's about the Acts of the Apostles, the, the movement, the, the kinetic energy, if you will. And so this message is about um, Jesus, and it's going through Paul. And so Paul, he's giving the message of Jesus. People don't like that. People are beating him. People are uh, leaving him for dead in a ditch. People are wanting his life for preaching the message of Jesus. By the way, still happens in the world today. You might not see it here so much, but people give their lives literally for sharing the message of Jesus. This is nothing new to the church. This was happening way back at the beginning in the book of Acts. And what we see in Acts is that Paul is giving a message, and then he, um, and then he persecution arises, so he, he flees that town. He goes to the city of Athens in Greece, okay? He goes to Athens, Greece, and he's waiting there for Timothy and Silas, his partners in ministry, who were, who were finishing the work of the ministry without Paul being there. They stayed behind, and they finished the work of the ministry and set up things in place, and then they were going to come meet Paul in Athens. And while Paul is sitting in Athens, he has this, uh, he has this interaction with people, and that's where we're going to pick it up today. So it's going to be in Acts uh, 17, and we're going to start in verse 16, and it'll say this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day there were people there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be preaching uh, the preacher of a foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. 
So here's Paul. He's just waiting in Athens, right? Sounds like the name of a good song, Waiting in Athens. I don't know. I just, I'm going to write that. Um, so, so he's sitting there reading. Uh, he's waiting in Athens. He's just waiting for his ministry partners to get there. So he's just chilling out. And while he's in Athens, he's provoked. He's provoked. Something gets his attention. Something stirs with inside him. He gets discontent. He's provoked by something. Something elicits a response from him. And that is this, that he looks around and he sees that the city is full of idols and temples and shrines and altars. All of this worship is going on, but none of them are worshiping Jesus. And that bothers him. Okay? It bothers him because he sees these people, he has compassion upon them, and he wants them to know Jesus. They're worshiping, but they're worshiping in the wrong directions. And it bothers him so much that people would give their time, give their talent, give their treasure to, to these idols and these things, thinking that it's going to make their life better, but really they're, 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 they're praying to statues and figurines and things that cannot help them when he knows the living God, and he's provoked by that. He's provoked because they don't know. And that bothers them because he loves them and he wants to see them know the God of the universe. And so Paul reasons with them. Paul reasons with them. That's a, that's a word that you find right there. And, and the word reason, uh, the, the original book of Acts is, is, is written in the Greek language. It's written by a guy named Luke, okay? So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So he wrote the gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. So Luke is, Acts is Luke part two, so to speak. And Luke is the one who is, is recording Paul's, he goes with Paul, and he's recording how Paul is provoked and bothered. He's like, oh man, Paul's really upset, Right? He's provoked and he says, and then he goes and he reasons with people. First he goes into the synagogue and he, he reasons with the Jews. He says, listen, the, the, the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, has come. His name is Jesus. I'll show you in the Old Testament where all these prophecies line up in Christ. Jesus the Christ. He was here. And then he would go to the marketplace. He'd be wherever he could talk about Jesus. He would talk about Jesus. He says he reasoned with them. The Greek word for reason is dialogamai. Dialogamai, that's where we get dialogue. Isn't that interesting? The man who was provoked, his response was to have conversations. Face to face with real people. Can you believe it? It's amazing that he would actually want to talk to somebody Talk about and hear their story. Get to know them and also to be able to dialogue, to go back and forth and say, let me share this with you. And what happened is as the more he has these dialogues, the more he has this conversation, he starts to gain notoriety and people around them, some Epicurean Stoic philosophers. Athens, is, Athens is, is one of those big, huge places for philosophy. And you have these huge schools of philosophy there, the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans, uh, these were people that loved pleasure and experience, okay? Eat, drink, and be merry. Um, if, uh, if, if, you, if you're, you know, like, think about, like, Food Network, Travel Channel, okay? Think about, the, like, we're going to go everywhere. We're going to see the culture. We're going to taste the food. We're going to get to know the people. We're going to do all those things. That's an Epicurean spirit, so to speak, you know? Like, that's, a, that's the idea, the philosophy of, of being an Epicurean, to, to experience the pleasures of this world. Now, on the other side, you had the Stoics, 
The Stoics were people like most of the people in this room's ancestry, right? Like the Scandinavian, right? Like this idea, not everybody, but some, right? So this, this idea of Stoicism is this. It's about it's not about not showing emotion. It's about self-control. It's about discipline. It's about self-denial. It's about doing these. Like, Stoics were the people that, like, would purposely deny themselves things in order to gain something else. So you had the Stoics and the Epicureans. I'm sure they got along swimmingly, right? I'm sure they had just wonderful conversations. And, uh, and you have these Stoics and Epicureans, and both of them are intrigued by Paul. I just think that's amazing. Like, you got both ends of the spectrum. Here's the reason, because the gospel doesn't fit well into man-made structures. The gospel is its own thing. And so both of them are going, what? what's this? What's this? Because it's not this, and it's not this, and I know what you are like, but, you're not, but he's not like you, and I know what you're like, but he's not like, what, what, what's new? What's this? What's this babbler talking about? He seems to be preaching foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so Paul takes this opportunity. He has this, he has this opportunity to speak to some of the greatest minds, the intellects of the world of his day in one of the most popular cities and important cities in the history of the world. Okay? So he starts having these conversations in the marketplace and suddenly he's starting to gain more and more notoriety and he gets invited to speak at one of the most prominent places in one of the most prominent cities in the history of the world. He's going to go to the Areopagus. He's going to go there. He's going to, he's going to uh, preach there. They're inviting him to lecture and speak at one of the most prominent places. This is where teaching was disseminated. This is where court cases were decided. This was the place in the middle of the place, right? So think getting an invitation to speak in Times Square in New York, Okay. That kind of idea. Like one of the most important places in one of the most important cities in the history of the world. And Paul gets an invitation because he's having dialogues, he's having conversations with people. He gets thrust into this spotlight, which is really, really interesting. And this is where we pick it up in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the middle of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. This is so cool to me because he, he starts with giving them a genuine, heartfelt, legitimate compliment. Okay? This isn't empty flattery. This isn't just a way. Like, he actually has been observing them, watching them, provoked. But, but he says, here's what, you, here's what you got going on. I can see that you're very religious. It's a good thing to be devout. It's a good thing to seek God. I can see that in every way you're very religious people. This is, this is commendable. This is commendable that you would, that you would be a religious people that you would be a religious people, that you would seek God. He says, that's good. But what's interesting is he, he notices something. He finds this gospel touch point, this idea of like, where do you meet, where does the gospel and culture intersect? Where can you talk to someone about their faith? And where can you get to that place where you go, we have this in common and this in common, and here's where it intersects. And he's found something. He said he found an altar, and the altar has an inscription on it that says, to an unknown God. 
Athens was full of gods. They had full of, of all these different things. It was the, the if you look, follow like Greek mythology, it's the home of Athena. There's all these other gods and regional gods around the place. But they, but they also came up with this altar. At some point, somebody said, you know what? What if another god's here and we don't know who it is and we don't want to upset him? So let's, let's put an inscription to an unknown god. Let's just cover all the bases, Right? Let's just cover all the bases. Let's have a, a, we don't know this person yet, but we're gonna make a home for him because we don't want him to show up and have things go back because we didn't prepare anything for him. So just to cover our bases, let's have to an unknown God. And what's interesting to me in that is that there's a longing in the people of Athens that's beyond anything that they were worshiping. Whatever they were worshiping, it was leaving them empty and hollow, leaving something missing, something left out. And they said, you know what? I can't put my finger on it, but what we're going to do to, to soothe our conscience is we're going to put an altar up to an unknown God. And Paul sees this and he goes, oh, the unknown God. You want to know him? I'm going to make him known to you. I'm going to make the unknown God what you don't know. I'm going to make known to you. He's establishing a connection and meeting people where they're at. Paul would do this all the time. Jesus does this all the time. If you look at the messages of Jesus, he's, he's talking about living water, standing by a well. That wasn't an accident, right? He used the words water to attach with water so he could talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. He talked to fishermen about fishing. He talked to people about farming. He talked to shepherds about sheep herding, right? You know, you have, there's all these different touch points going, there's something here that I can tease out a little bit to tell you and point you in the direction of Jesus, and Paul says, you have this altar that says to an unknown God. What are, the, what are the gospel touch points that you have in your life? What are those things that you can be talking about? And this is where he gets into the heart of what he's talking about, the presentation, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, belong, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. The Greeks were very religious, and they believed in the divine. But he says this unknown God, this God that you don't know, is actually bigger than all of your gods combined. This is the God who made heaven and earth. He is Lord over heaven and earth. Now, if you remember, like, if you remember in high school or whatever, you know, Greek mythology, Roman theology, you know, like Roman theology, all these different things, they had the, this is the God of this, and this is the God of this, and this is the God of this, and this, and this, and this, and this, right? They had, they had their own areas. They were supposed to stay in their lane. God is over all of that. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is above any belief system that you have had before that you thought of. He is bigger than anything that you can ask or imagine. He has authority over powers and principalities. He has authorities over the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He didn't wrestle it away from the titans. He didn't do anything. He made it. He made it all. He's the creator and he created human beings. And by the way, he doesn't need you. That's a, that's a he doesn't need us. God doesn't need you or me. God doesn't need any person to be fully fulfilled, fully joyful in himself. Like, he doesn't need any of us. He doesn't, he doesn't like, up there wring his hands and go, I hope people like me. God says, he, goes, he's not, he doesn't dwell in temples and he's not, he's not appeased by works of human beings. 
God doesn't need us, rather we need him. We need him. And even though God doesn't need us, he desires us. He wants us to be with him. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to think, uh, we ought to think that the divine being is Whoa, I'm going to start over again on that sentence. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God is not made in your image. We are made in God's image. He's the definer. And what's amazing is this, is, is as we see this, he said, listen, God has allotted your time and place. You get to choose a lot of things in your life. You did not get determined when you were born or where you would live when you were born. That wasn't up to you, right? We didn't get to choose that we were gonna live through this. That wasn't our, that wasn't our call, we were allotted this time and this place in history, church. This is what God has given to us, to be the church in this time. And for, for Paul's day, he was allotted that time. And he tells people, he says, listen, you were allotted a time and a place because God is overall. He's not, he's not bound by your boundary system of smaller gods. He's the God of everything. And he's allotted your time and place that you would seek him and find him that you would seek him and find him. And the reason we know that you were seeking him is because you created an altar to an unknown God. You were seeking him, and now he is found. In fact, he says, he even quotes one of the Athenian uh, poets. He's like, I even, he goes, listen, even in your culture you see this. In the culture we see that one of your poets said, for we are indeed his offspring. That's from the, that's from the poet Aratus. He, he sees, he's like, listen, culturally, you're looking for God. Spiritually, you're looking for God. And there's always been something missing. And here he is to be made known to you. How many people do you know are looking for something? Or maybe you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've tried everything. Maybe that's part of your story. I tried everything. But there was something missing. There was something that we, there was a God-shaped hole in us that we couldn't fill with anything else. Your friends, your families, your coworkers who don't know Jesus are trying to fill their life up with something. And it always leaves us wanting. And as they look for something, can we talk to them about what they're looking for? You might even want to throw the song out there, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, by you too. It's a great conversation starter. People are like, are we, do you do that? I haven't yet, but I might. Still haven't found what you're looking for. That's a good song. What are you looking for? 
I don't know, haven't found it. Well, it's been ignorant to you, let me make known to you. And then he gets to the crux of his message. This place, and this is what happens. The gospel will offend you. And the gospel will offend me. And the gospel will offend people. It presses on our hearts because now it's dealing with something that we can't control or maybe we've, something we've, we've gone astray or whatever. And so it's a calling to us to come back. And this is what we see in verse 30. It says, the time of ignorance God overlooked. Your ignorance, God was overlooking that. He didn't strike you down. He overlooked that. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It means to turn away from what they're chasing and to turn towards God. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And on, of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And he says, listen, there comes a time, there comes a place when we have to turn to God. We have to turn away from what we're doing. Because there's a judgment coming. That God is going to make all things right. And if you're not right with God, there's judgment. And he says there's going to come a time and a place and he's going to be judged by the righteous man, Jesus. And the proof of that is that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the watershed moment of the gospel. This is the one that presses on people's hearts. And how will they respond? Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from the midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysus, the Areogite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. That we have three different responses to the message of Jesus. That you've been looking for something. His name is Jesus, and he's going to judge the world. But he gives life and life eternal to all who would believe upon him. And the things that you have done wrong will be covered by the, by the cross of Jesus Christ. We're covered by Jesus and we escape the judgment of God. But he got to this place where, he was, where the gospel was offensive and some people rejected it, said, nah, 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 I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. You have me, me until resurrection, you have me until that, then I'm done. They reject it. Some are curious. Some are like, you know what, I want to know more. And some accepted. Some responded in belief. When we share our faith and when we share the gospel, this is really important, so please look at me. It is not your job to make them respond the way that you want them to. Okay? Sharing the gospel and the act of evangelism is sharing our faith, to share the good news. It's not your job to save them. You can't do that. You're not that good. I'm not that good. God will use our words. God will use our life and draw people, but we can't change hearts. And we can't change minds. Instead, that's the work of God. So we leave the results to the Lord. It's his job to change hearts. And we should be able to rest in that. We should, we should have this beautiful opportunity to just, oh, just take a deep breath and go, oh, I, it's not my job to change hearts. Preach the gospel. Share the good news, yes, Change hearts, that's a work of the Lord. 
And for some people, they rejected it. And some people will reject your message, but they might not reject it for forever, but they might at first. And they go, eh, I don't know. Some of my best friends, some of the most prolific church planters and pastors that I know started out as atheists. One really good friend of mine was a hardcore atheist in freshman year in college, wanted to destroy young Christians' faith, and by the time he was a senior, he was a movement leader in helping people come to Jesus on the University of Minnesota's campus. So it might not be for forever, but they might reject it. Some people are curious. When you give them the message of Jesus, it's like putting a pebble in their shoe. And they start walking on it. You ever had a rock in your shoe? You're like, ah, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need to, I don't have to stop. I don't have to take much. I don't have to, I don't have to deal with this. I can just walk it off, right? Four steps later, you're like, oh, man. Right? Putting the gospel, introducing people, it puts a rock in the shoe. It, it starts to get them to think on it. They can't ignore it. They, and God's drawing them. They can't figure out why. And, and you see these things, and, and, and that's what happens. So people are more curious. Tell me more. And others, others will respond in faith. Others you'll see God save right in front of your face. It's the most amazing thing when someone gives their faith to Jesus and you get to witness it and God used your words to do it. You're like, man. But I will tell you this right now. You will get rejected more than that will happen. Far and away, every time I preach the gospel or proclaim the gospel or share the gospel, more people reject it in that moment than accept it. But some do. And it makes it worth it. And even if no one ever shared, the, if no one ever responded to, to, to my preaching, ever, ever, the gospel is still worth it. Because the good news of Jesus Christ saved me. And it has saved many of you. And it saves all who would believe upon him. Epicurean, Stoic, Jew, Greek, American, right? Mexican, Canadian. Doesn't matter where we come from. Doesn't matter what country we were born in. The good news of Jesus Christ saves all people because it's a matter of the heart and being made right with God and everyone can. It's about recognizing that Jesus lived a life that we could not live, died the death that you and I deserve and rose from the dead to show that he has conquered Satan's sin and death and gives new life to all who would believe upon him. Because faith comes by hearing, and it grows by sharing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time and this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And God, I pray today that we would have boldness and that this word would instruct us this morning, that we would be instructed in going, where's the gospel touch points in our life? Where can we meet people where they're at? Where can we commend them and encourage them and help steer that thing in the right direction? Where can we help people point to Jesus? And God, please let us never lose heart. That even when we get rejected, Lord, you know what it's like to be rejected. 
And so they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting you. And so let us follow you and walk with you. Let the Holy Spirit do the work that the Holy Spirit does. And let us be faithful messengers of this precious good news that we can be saved from our sins and we can be saved from the coming judgment because you died for us and rose from the dead. And we have faith in you and eternal life lies in Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.